Amen. Amen. Well, church, as you are having a seat, if you would grab your Bibles and open up to John's Gospel, chapter 1. Hey, kiddos. Look at y'all. Y'all have a great class. Y'all were so well behaved right over there. Well done. A lot of singing going on up there. Love that. Um, we call this the balcony over here, in case you were wondering. So that's our balcony section. Uh, so the kids get to sit in the balcony. So a lot of them don't like it because I get to look at them. And if there's any, anyway, they're like, why do you want to, anyway, um, John chapter one, I, I digress. John chapter one. So uh, we are going to be looking at a Christmas narrative this morning that is unlike any other narrative pinned in any other gospel. It starts in a very different place. In fact, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 are arguably some of the greatest thoughts ever written down. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 that we're going to be looking at here this morning is one of the greatest thoughts ever penned. It's, it's amazing. If we could plumb the depths of what this is talking about, we would never cease to be in awe and be amazed at what is going on here. This is, these are incredible words. These are incredible truths. And they are far above us. But here we have them in the very word of God. So here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. I'm going to read them and then we'll dive in here this morning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. But he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so this morning, what I want us to do, I want to take a few moments and I want us to consider this, that Jesus, the promised Messiah, Jesus, the promised one, Jesus, the one whom we celebrate at Christmas, the one that is born, has always existed. This all-powerful, he is eternal, he is everlasting, he is just, he is good, he is Always right. John's gospel tells us that Jesus, who is eternal and everlasting, this one that was at creation at the very beginning, stepped into his creation. The eternal one put on flesh. 
the everlasting one, put on flesh, the one that was making and creating and sustaining and holding all things together in the cosmos, entered into our reality and into our world. He put on humility. He humbled himself by putting on flesh, and he stepped into our world. This is an amazing thought. There was, we could probably preach six months on John 1, 1 through 14. There is so much there that Jesus, the creator, the maker, the sustainer, was at the very beginning, has always existed, is eternal, stepped in to our world and put on humility. Now, humility and lowliness, which is essentially the Christmas story, right? Jesus being born in obscurity, being born in a manger, being put on flesh, that God becoming a man, humility and, and lowliness, there's no room for him at the end, in, right? We've, we, we're familiar with this story. You've grown up in the church or you haven't at all. Humility and loneliness are, are scorned virtues in our culture today. They're not well received. They, they're, they're, all, they're looked at as weakness and they're looked at as things not to be desired. In fact, we in our culture, in our time, especially in this polarizing sort of uh, cultural moment that we are all living in right now, we are drawn uh, mostly to power, to influence, to control, to even arrogance, and to uh, self-reliance. These are the things that we run after. These are the things that we are attracted to. These are the things that sometimes get us out of bed in the morning or that we think uh, are powerful and are good and that we strive for. But this promised one, this royal son that was born, uh, this one that has been spoken of through the ages has and always will be since the very beginning of creation, although he was powerful, is the very definition of humility. And he's the very definition of lowliness. And nothing proves that point greater than Christmas. Christmas is a a gong against our selfie culture. Humility, lowliness, service, laying down his life for others, being born in a gutter, being born in a garage in a know-nothing town, this promised one, this royal son, Christmas is the definition of humility and lowliness. The claim of the Christian gospel is that God is humble and that his humility, as we find in the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only future hope for our world. Not power, not prestige, not influence, but God and his humility through his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when every other God and every other hope that we run after fails us, um, the Christian gospel through Jesus Christ will stand because he will be ruling and reigning. Why? Because he humbled himself, the scriptures tell us. That's the great story of the gospel. That's the message of Christmas. Um, 
In fact, God delights to serve other people. God delights to serve and go to the low place. In fact, he delights to serve people who are immeasurably beneath him. If, if Jesus, if the, if the Bible is true and Jesus is God, the, the, his, the pre-incarnate Jesus was there at the very beginning and he formed the cosmos and he breathed everything into life and action, and then he came and put on flesh and he serves us and he came not only to serve us but ultimately to die that we would be considered sons and daughters in the kingdom. This is an amazing message. This is unfathomable. This journey, it's this, this journey is, is unbelievable that he took for us. God delights to serve others who are immeasurably beneath him. That's Christmas. And this is all over the Bible. This is not just in the Gospels. This is not just in the Christmas story. This is all over the place. Let's, let's walk through a few examples. The verses will be on the screen. We're going to race through a few of them. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger. That's our God. In other words, he's not impulsive. He's not volatile. He's not reactionary. He's not... Uh, Flying off the rails. That's not our God. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. Psalm 18, 35 says this about God. The psalmist writes, Your gentleness has made me great. Who talks like that? Your gentleness has made me great. He's saying, if there's anything great about me, God, it's a result of your gentleness toward me because you shouldn't have been. Because I am a sinner and I'm a failure and I, uh, I don't ever measure up because you're God and I'm obviously not, but you approach me with gentleness. And that's what makes me great. If there's anything great about me, it's because you were gentle toward me. Zechariah 9.9, this is talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Behold your king. Now we would think these next words about our king coming to us, he's coming on a war horse. He's coming with, uh, right, and that, that's coming one day. But here we have a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he's come. Behold your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. God humbling himself. Matthew 11, 29 through 30. Jesus says this about himself. These are amazing words. It says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I love this verse. <laughs> um, in fact, there was just a whole book written about it. It's really great. You should read it by Dane Ortland. I suggest you pick it up. Um, about this verse right here because this is one of the very few times, maybe the only time in the New Testament that Jesus tells us what's going on inside of his heart. So it's like Jesus uh, cracks open his heart and says, you wanna know what's in me? You wanna know what's in my heart? 
So we know, we know a lot about his miracles. We know a lot about his life. We know a lot about where he went. We know a lot about where he was born. We know all the events surrounding it. And here in this amazing passage, we have this incredible window into the heart of Christ, into the heart of Jesus who was born in a manger. There was no room for him in the end. John 1 tells us his people did not receive him. He says, I've come to you and this is my heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Church, our maker, the one we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus, the one who created it all, John 1 tells us, is gentle and lowly in heart. Um, He is not aggressive. He is not arrogant. Um, We created those things to gain power and influence and jockey for position. We created self-importance. We create and love and run after ego. Jesus says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. (laughs) Those are so comforting to me. And then he goes on and he says, the maker of you and I, the sustainer of the universe, the one who is there at the very beginning with God in creation. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And then he goes on in verse 30 and he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. King Jesus, the one we celebrate at Christmas, the one we worship, the one that came as a baby, he came lowly, he came in humility. Uh, He doesn't yell at you and he doesn't scream at you about what a mess up you are. He, this picture, as he's describing his heart and his attitude toward us is of a savior and a maker and a creator and of a God who bends down and lifts you up and actually carries your burdens that you can't carry on your own. That is a good God. And he takes them upon himself. Matthew chapter 20. We see more of this. It says, even the son of man. So the son of man is language from the book of Daniel about the true king who's going to come and judge the world. And it says, even the son of man comes not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So, the, the, the maker, the creator, the sustainer, the one who spun the world into existence, the one who knew you before you were even born, who created you and formed you and placed you, the one who is outside of time, who is ruling and reigning over history, the one who is king and mighty and is good and is true and is just and is uh, gentle and is lowly and his yoke is easy and his burden is light, he actually came Not so that we would serve him, but that he would serve us. Wow. And not like he's, and not just in a way that like he mows your lawn for you, right? Because we're busy people and like, oh man, it'd be so nice to have some in the moment. No, it's not like he just does errands for you or he's like a helpful a co-pilot, right? That, you know, we're doing our thing and Jesus came to serve us and he's, he helps me out when I, when I need and I'm overwhelmed. No, no, no. He 
came to serve us in such a way that he gave his very life as a ransom for those that would receive him by faith and believe in the gospel message. And now he gives to you all of the benefits of heaven that were due to him. Um, that's good news. That's good news. Luke 12, 37. Uh, this is amazing. This is describing, this is Jesus describing the recovery of all things. So at the end, um, at the end of time, and he will be with us again. So he's sort of describing this moment in ways that we can understand. And he says this, uh, Luke 12, 37, in describing the recovery of all things in the end of time when he will be with us again. Truly I say to you, is Jesus speaking, the master will dress himself for service. He's talking about himself. And have his servants recline at a table and he will come and serve them. <laughs> what that just told us is Jesus our king, the description at the end when he's restoring all things, he's in this scenario is the waiter at a table that you're dining at. Do we deserve to be at that table? Absolutely not. But the king has given us a place there and he says that uh, we don't serve him, that he's serving us. Humility. Humility, humility, humility. Over and over and over again. Gentleness, kindness, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jesus giving of himself, humble, lowly. John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 10.1, the apostle Paul, I, Paul, appeal to you. He's making an appeal to you. Paul's saying, I, I really want you to know this. I'm appealing to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. The apostle Paul says, this is who he is. My appeal that I'm making to you, I'm appealing to you by the meekness and gentleness of our Christ. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is patient toward you. I love that, toward you. Not just with you, but toward you. Like the patience of God is moving toward you. I love that analogy. I love that picture. It's not just like waiting around and he, he's patient when you, when you finally get to him. No, the patience of, the God, of God is literally like a laser going toward you and hits you, the patience of God. Where would we be without the patience of God? This God that we celebrate at Christmas, this God according to Christianity, uh, this humility that we see is God's greatest glory. And it's all over the scriptures. He didn't have to deal with us this way. He chose to. This is so the humility of God as we observe and we see even in Christmas on display through Jesus putting on flesh, being born as a baby, being dependent, being born in humility and lowliness is not something that God had to overcome. 
It's not something he had to sort of get through in order to, or I have to endure this so that then Jesus would finally be meaningful once he grew up. It wasn't something he had to overcome. It wasn't some mistake that was made that he had to figure out a way around. His humility is his greatest glory. And it wasn't a crisis to get out of. He chose humility I mean, he, if he was there at the very beginning, outside of time, he knew this would happen even before the cosmos were even made, before the universe existed. He was this way. This was in God. This was in Christ. Humility. The Bible says God opposes the proud. So we should all stop right there and think to ourselves, what? Wow, okay. The Bible literally says if the God is going to oppose you, he's going to be against you, he's not going to be for you, he's going to put his power to bear uh, going the opposite direction of where you want to go, and to the, like that, the person that he does that to is the proud person. I mean, that's... The, that's Look at the falling of the angels. It's pride, like pride, right? You just see that string all, that's a whole nother sermon series, pride. And God actively working against the pride of man to humble us, to show us who he is, what he's like. And the verse continues on, he says, but he gives grace to the humble. That's a little mini biblical story arc of creation, fall, redemption. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And my observation of all of the virtues of Christ that we see and that are displayed even in Christmas and are displayed all over the scriptures, the ones that Christ calls us to, the one that the Bible calls us to, um, the one it tells us to embody that right here that God gives grace to the humble, that he would pour out his grace to those that are humble, humility and even gentleness, like we talked about here, are two of the least practiced in our selfie culture today. There's like the new term that is a thing, and if you've watched any of these documentaries, it's the attention industry, right? That's what like billion-dollar businesses exist now because uh, we have supercomputers in our pocket that are just trying to get, get our attention about everything trying to get our attention about this, trying to get our attention about this. And the more time we spend on these attention-grabbing devices that we can feed and we can uh, self-actualize in, the, the more money it makes for them through advertisements and all these other things. Um, Jesus calls us to humility, to gentleness, and to even lowliness. And that's the Christmas story. I mean, we see that in him on display. If God, think about this, if God can serve his creatures, surely we, as Christ followers, who the scriptures say are to boast in nothing but the cross, can serve others without constantly trying to improve our status and reputation. This is hard for us. I mean, whether you're on social media or not, this is hard for us. 
This is not just an indictment of social media. This is just human nature. This is hard for us. But Christmas shows us how to make a huge impact through humility and through serving others. So Christmas, church, and the humility of Jesus that we see on display is directly relevant to us today. Uh, what do I mean? What, is, what am I talking about? Well, as a church and as a people of God gathered under the lordship of Jesus Christ as our savior, that came as a baby, that lived humility, that was weak and lowly and eventually gave his life for us as a ransom that we would be purchased back as sons and daughters of the most high. So that reality, that gospel message means that we do not seek to be prestigious. That's not our goal. We don't even seek to be great and envied by others. Christmas shows us that if we are going to make an impact and make inroads in the world and in the communities and in the families and in the environments that we find ourselves in, we will do so by following Jesus to the low place of humility. Because that is uh, striking. Um, so f- for the few minutes that I have left, I want to just look at two verses out of John's gospel, verse 1 and verse 14, and we're going to see who Jesus is, be reminded again of who Jesus is, and we're going to see, secondly, what Jesus means, what, what Christmas means. So verse 1, in the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, when you read this, if you are a student of your Bible and you have read your Bible or you know uh, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, this should sound familiar to us. We're reminded of the very first verse in our Bible that says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember, like last week, it doesn't start once upon a time. In the beginning, God, God does something. God moves, God acts. And so John is hearkening back on purpose that we would be reminded of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John's point here is to remind us and to tell us that Jesus was there at the very beginning. That he was there. That Jesus is not limited to time. He's not a construct of our imagination. He's not uh, any of those things. He was, at, he was in the beginning. Um, he did not begin like creation, John is telling us. He existed before it all and was there at the beginning. In the beginning was the word. So John is saying that when God switched on the lights to the universe for the very first time, Jesus was already there. The Son of God was already there. He's eternal, in other words. That's what John's trying to get at here. Um, And what's even more striking about this, which is what is fascinating, is yet he's eternal, but who's the Apostle John writing about here? Well, remember the gospel stories, if you've read them, he's writing about his best friend. I mean, he knows this guy. He's his best friend. He walked with him. He lived life with him. He loved Jesus. They're, they were together. So when John introduces his best friend, 
The Apostle John, he doesn't do it with personal stories or personal narratives about his life. He starts and he introduces his best friend, Jesus, as the creator. I've never written a letter about my best friend like that, right? It's like, wow. So John has something very important to tell us about Jesus. He introduces Jesus. This is the Christmas narrative in John's gospel. Very different than any other narratives. He, he doesn't introduce us to Jesus by telling us he was born in a manger. He introduces us to Jesus by saying he's existed forever. And he goes all the way back into creation, into the universe, and still further back into eternity past. Wow. In the beginning was the word. Now, why does John call Jesus the word? Um, you may have been confused by that. Like, what's he talking about, the word? Why does he keep saying the word? Uh, John is calling Jesus the word. And how do we know he's calling Jesus the word? At the end of 17, John says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, saying like, Creating, a, he's closing the loop there. He's saying, This is all about Jesus. The Word is Jesus. So, why call Jesus the Word? Because Jesus is God's message to the human race. Jesus is what God has to say to the world. Um, Jesus is the thought of God. Jesus is the heart of God. Jesus is the speech God wants to make to the world. Jesus is the gospel. He's the point. Um, and that's why John calls him the word. And if Jesus was there at the very beginning, then it's not as if Jesus and the word was a response to you and I, okay? It means he was there all along. Jesus, the word, was there all along. This is what John's trying to get us to, to realize. In the beginning was the word. Before we were there, he was there. Before anything went wrong, before there was sin, before there was the fall, he was there. The word was there. He's always been there. He, it, it has always been spoken. The word has always been spoken. It always will be. And he'll always be forever and ever eternal. So it means that Jesus, here's what that means. Just, this should be incredibly comforting to you. That Jesus will never be silenced. He's always been there. And he always will be there. No matter what politicians tell you, no matter what the culture does, no matter what the school district does, no matter what the right does, the left does, the middle does, this country does, that country does, uh, what, no matter what I do, no matter what you do, no matter what any, Jesus will be there and he will never be silenced. We can get really anxious about a lot of other things and we think that Oh no, and we chase after a lot of secondary things. Jesus, the Christmas story tells us in John's account, Jesus will never be silenced. In the beginning was the word, and that word will always be there. He's the first and the final word. Um, <clears throat> so the message at the heart of Christmas and the mind of God um, is not about us. It's about God and his glory and his word being the final word and full word. 
And our first step into this grand story that God is orchestrating is a step into humility and freedom from self-importance and realizing that I'm not the center point of God's grand story, Jesus is. In the beginning was the word. That's John's Christmas narrative. And it's so freeing. It sounds opposite, but it is so freeing to start listening and start uh, embracing and living by a message that is so far beyond ourselves. That's why the Bible is so hard to understand at times. Because it's not about us and it's not about your self-improvement. And it's not about making you the hero. It's not about making me the hero. Uh, It's a reality where God is. God's the hero through his only begotten son. And our lives now in this grand story, in this most wonderful story, are about loving and serving God through the Lord Jesus Christ to make him look great because he's deserving of more and more worship. And that is a huge adjustment for us. That's a huge adjustment for me. When we finally believe that the universe is not about me, but it's about God and his glory. That's Christianity. It's not easy, but it's very freeing. Um, All right, so then we read, not only was he the word that Jesus was there in the beginning, and the word was God. So the pre-Bethlehem Jesus, the son of God, was with God. He was God's eternal peer. He's equal in being. So John wants to be very clear about that, that the very beginning of this narrative, uh, that Jesus is Lord, right? Even at the very end of John's gospel, we have doubting Thomas, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, after he sees who Jesus is, and he's revealed to, he says, my Lord, my God. So Thomas says this to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't correct him. So he says, my Lord, my God, and Jesus doesn't back up and say, whoa, that's that's not me. He doesn't correct him. He accepts worship as God, as Lord and God. So he's more than a carpenter. He's more than a revolutionary. He's bigger and better than just an idealist. He's bigger and better than a great teacher. He's more than a good man. He's more than a motivational speaker. And he's much, much more than a really good example to follow. He is Lord and God. He's eternal Lord and God. Therefore, what does that mean? This Christmas, you cannot bypass Jesus and get to God. The Bible does not give room for that. You cannot say, well, I have a good relationship with God and I just don't uh, involve Jesus. You can't say that according to the Bible. Jesus does not think so. In fact, here are Jesus' words about himself in John 5. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. It's pretty plain. And if we begin to think the other way, we begin to want to correct God and invent a savior of our own making. So you cannot be neutral about Jesus this Christmas, which is exactly what he intends, that every single one of us feels and experiences and knows a fork in the road type moment. If you are just sort of neutral about him and you think Jesus is about cool trees, 
bringing pine trees inside and hanging socks over the fireplace and all those things. The, the, the reality of Christmas is this fork in the road moment where Jesus is eternal, he is Lord, he is God, and he is uh, the one that has come to save. And it is my hope and prayer that we as God's people would turn and run headlong after him and his purposes and what he has called us to. Last thing, and we'll be done. <clears throat> What does Jesus mean? Uh, this, is the Chris, this is Christmas in one verse in John's uh, narrative, verse 14. <laughs> this is an amazing Christmas narrative. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, that happened because God wanted you to be sure of him. And he came down and he revealed himself in ways that we could understand and that we uh, could process. And what was so obvious about this account was the humility of God that um, was so out of step with the entire order of this world. The world says climb up the ladder to get success. The world says uh, build a platform, make a name for yourself, uh, get higher and higher and higher, get noticed, get noticed, get noticed, get, climb the ladder in position and prestige and all these things that are so obvious to everyone in this room that we live and breathe in those, those environments. The gospel is totally different. Here's Christmas. Church, hear this. God came down. Down, 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 all the way down. The same one who is there in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, he came down. He became flesh. He became human like you and me. Total and complete humility like anything we've ever seen. And he did not become a superhero-like person. He came as a baby. He was born in a stall and placed in a feeding trough. He became like us in our weakness. He became like us even in our death. And he became flesh in order to die. See, we're born so that we can live. It's like we've got the, our whole lives ahead of us when we're born. Jesus was born so that he could die. Think about that. Jesus, the word who was God, became flesh to die. He therefore, catch this, we're almost done, can identify with us in our lowest place in death itself, yet without sin, so that he could bear our sin for us. Uh, Lewis, C.S. Lewis, the great author, describes it like this. This is really good. The second person in God, the Son, became human and was born into the world as an actual man, a real man, of particular heights, with hair, a particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing so many pounds, the eternal being who knows everything and created the universe became a man, and before that, a baby, and before that, a fetus in a woman's body. And he concludes this little section. If you want to get the hang of it, think of how you would like to become a slug or a crab. I thought that's pretty good. He went to the lowest place. The word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we see him in grace and in truth in this merciless world that we live in today, and the humility of God is how we get closer to God. Not by elevating ourselves, not by admiring ourselves, but by humbling ourselves. 
Uh, God is not hard to find if we know where to look for him. Um, Because he's always in the low place. And he's full of grace. And he's full of truth. Jesus is God's word saying, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. For my heart is gentle and lowly. And he says, let me serve you. Let me forgive you of your sin. Let me know you at your even lowest point because I've experienced it all yet without sin, so I'm the only one that can take it. And then he goes on and he says, I'm even going now and preparing a place for you, and when I come back, I'm going to take you with me forever in glory. That's the extent of his love and care for us. Um, the humility of God is the center point of the Christmas story. And it's there that we find him. And it's there we long to stay. Because at his feet is where we see and savor the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning, church. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that Jesus was with you at the very beginning. That in the beginning was the word. And God, that the Christmas message is that the word became flesh and then dwelt among us. And that in humility he came and was born among us, God, and to all that would receive him, to all that would believe in him, this one that lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserve, we then would have life in him. And so, God, I pray that we would worship him now, that Christmas would be much more than we're told to make it, that it would be about this one that has come, this promised royal son that gave us everything. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we long to worship you this season and forevermore. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship him this morning.